Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Well, tragic events strike randomly. That can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. And today's guest lived an idyllic lifestyle in the Adelaide Hills for three decades when she was blindsided by the tragedy of a bushfire and lost everything, her home and all her possessions. She's the founder and CEO of a South Australian charity called Second Chances SA, and has overcome enormous personal setbacks while successfully leading her team through a two-year pandemic. So all this coinciding with COVID. She speaks about navigating through tragic events and has a blueprint for going through and overcoming tragic loss. Her own living experience and capacity to go through and overcome tragedy has led her to become even stronger and more resilient. And she shows others how to become unshakable, unbreakable, and unstoppable, not if but when they suffer a tragedy. Enjoy the podcast, everyone. Helen Glanville, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Simon. You're welcome. <laughs> Did you write that? <laughs> Actually, I didn't. Someone wrote that for me. <laughs> Helen, you've got an amazing story yourself. So you've lived this. You've gone through it. Yes. Can you start just with your story? Let uh, Just paint a picture who, who you are to the audience and... I guess we know, well, we know, having had discussions previously, you've overcome some some tragedy yourself recently. The bushfires here a couple of years ago, um, and then COVID, that obviously followed yeah. pretty soon after that. Just paint a picture for us. So tell us a bit about yourself and, and that experience. Well, I think I've probably been a person that's faced a lot of opposition over the years, and um, you have to think these things through. But when disaster strikes that's when you have to dig deeper. And um, I've come to a position over many years now that it crisis is good for us. And that's a concept some people may not be able to absorb mm. instantly. But crisis in the Chinese has two images. One is danger, but the other one is opportunity. Yeah. And so what crisis brings to us that we need to learn to overcome is opportunity. Opportunity for introducing new ways, gone are the old. Opportunity for bringing solutions to new problems. Opportunity for seeing new growth, whether it's emotional, physical, psychological or whatever. Um, we go through seasons and, in fact, I've found over the years every decade has been for me a new season. Okay. Yeah. But nobody in our life, in our schools, in our families actually teaches us this is how you navigate through a crisis. This is where you go and how you overcome. And I think that because of the types of weathers that we're ex experiencing, which are so unseasonal, uh, we have to have a mindset of overcoming. And developing that actually means we have to eliminate fear. And that's the starting point because fear freezes our creativity. Okay, can and, I ask you, sorry, can I just can I can I get you just to go back a little bit? I want you to backtrack. Okay. I want you to paint a picture because obviously for those that aren't from South Australia listening to this, we had some pretty horrendous fires a couple of years back, two or three yes. years ago. Now, they were devastating and people lost their homes and you were one of them. You lost your home. Yes. Now, you can speak from experience and, you know, you would have gone through this whole process at that time. Can you just paint a picture, I guess, the lead up to that? Mm. I guess what happened when you saw that, what your initial thoughts were, mm. and then I guess how you started to move mm. out of that. So it was five days before Christmas in 2019 and the police finally allowed us to go to our property of 32 years and I could see that everything had been blackened and it was a 200-metre 
walk that I needed to take, we needed to take to actually reach our home. There was a lot of broken, deadened, blackened, fallen branches of trees, which we had to, you know, navigate over. And finally, we got to our home, which was a crumbling mess. Uh, The roof had caved in. Uh, Nothing was really recognisable as its former self. This was our forever home, so we thought. And the bricks were everywhere. Um, There was nothing that we could make sense of. And it just reinforced to me how when we come into this world, we do not take anything with us. And that if we put our hope and our trust in the things we work hard for and the things we accumulate over the years, then we're putting our trust in the wrong things. Um, These things pass through our hands. Um, I was always of the opinion that no matter what happened, I would make this property be still be in the family and when I move on, I'd pass it to our sons. And that wasn't to be. It was horrific shock. I went into an emotional spiral. I spiralled down. Uh, I was all over the shop wondering, you know, the devastation and the loss. And I think it was those things you think about because there's a lot of invested memories. Um, Jewellery we bought on our 30th wedding anniversary in New Zealand. Little beautiful pieces of souvenirs and jewellery we bought when we travelled across Europe. You know, their memories actually stored in those items. Um, For my husband, he lost family heirlooms such as um, French marble clocks and beautifully framed images, portraits of his ancestors and a 110-year-old Steinbeck piano. Um, So he lost a lot of books and I was more interested in losing my corporate wardrobe. But there you are. We lost absolutely everything except uh, there was a group that went through the rubble and, and, and the, um, uh, what do you call it, the rubble and and the soot and the ash, yeah. and they found a Pangora, Pandora's bracelet that my son had given me about six years previously. It was all blackened, but I have it as a memento, and that's a treasured possession now uh, because something of memory and value was spared. Uh, So, yes, I did get a phone call from my son in India on the day, and he said, Mum, you of all people know you cannot take anything with you. And as much as shocking as it was, we just accepted the fact that we didn't lose half, you know. We lost absolutely everything. The cars, you know, except the car we were driving and the clothes that we wore as we went to work on that Friday morning. Yeah. Mm. And so there were other people as well that you knew, Helen, that lost everything as you did? Did you? Have oh, a- yeah. We were just one of 90 homes across yeah. the Adelaide Hills and Kangaroo Island. Yeah. Um, it was devastating. It, it wiped out whole vineyards. In fact, for you to wipe out and destroy a wine bottle, you need to reach 1,400 degrees Celsius. And you can imagine the bottom of a wine bottle, it's quite thick, uh, and that's what you need. But if you want a vehicle to become molten metal, that requires 1,800 degrees Celsius, and that's what happened to some vehicles up in Mount Torrance because I got to talk to an RAA inspector and he said some of these vehicles were just melted away and they were just little rivers of molten yeah, material. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I saw pictures of it on on the television, but, yeah, it would be a different story altogether if you're actually there you know, and you're part of it. So this has happened to you and it's easy to say, you know, these are just material things and, you know, life's not about material things, but it would have been a massive shock. You know, to, to, to be standing, absolutely, yeah, right absolutely. Lights, you know, so where to from there? Like, how do you pick yourself up? How do you start to move 
in the right direction? Well, I think the most important thing for all of us, whether we go through something as drastic as what we've gone through or a crisis that's not so drastic, it's so, so, so important not to get stuck. And we have to keep the momentum because life comes, you know, six weeks later after a devastating fire where everything's blackened, what should pop up? Beautiful new green growth. And so it's important for us to realise that disaster or crisis doesn't mean we're going to stay in that position. We actually can look forward to something new. And for us, well, I had to certainly shake myself a bit to work out what is extremely paramount and non-negotiable for my life. And I came up with three Fs. And that was family. Now, unfortunately, some people don't have family, but we had a son and a daughter-in-law with a two-storey townhouse, which meant we could live downstairs in our own area. Um, That was a blessing. And we stayed there for six months. So family is really a key part of overcoming. And then you have friends. And the amazing thing about friends is you don't know you've got them until they pop out of the cracks and the woodwork. Like from, for me, would you believe 50 years ago when I was in my 20s, I shared a home with two girls um, in Canberra while we were studying. And right out of left field, they decided to do a GoFundMe. I'm going, where did you come from? So it's amazing who your friends are, you know, that they rise to the surface when the pressure's on. And then the third F is faith. Um, So we are a people of faith. And for us, that was comforting to know that someone bigger than us was looking after us. And um, that's something that can ground you and I highly recommend people to dig deep and search for a faith and enter into a trust that our lives have got a destiny and we can be bringers of hope and joy and I've always sensed all my life that I've had a destiny I just wasn't anticipating to be wiped out (laughs) but I can tell you having gone through it I have Um, thought through the significance of overcoming and how every Australian should be taught this in school. Um, Eliminate fear, you know, because fear freezes your faith, it freezes your creativity, and then start to think about what actions you can take to embrace the crisis, which really, in eventually, in a season will become an opportunity, an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for new invention, an opportunity for solutions to problems. Oh, man, alive. I have had so much opportunity Um, at the moment, like three months after the fire, I joined Speakers Institute. Yeah. And I was still in shock. I remember Sam looking, Sam Cawthorn looking at me and (laughs) I have got a photograph of this encounter and I can tell I was just trying to be tough, but I could tell I was still unraveling the shock. But we do get through it and we have to not stay. And that is the problem sometimes in people's thinking that they can't see the future or they have a fear of future or they have a fear of failure. You see what I mean about fear? That fear must go because creativity is and and new thinking of for solutions is where we must go because that's what pressure produces that's how we get diamonds a massive pressure upon coal and then up comes the diamonds yeah and that's what we need to be looking for and i can look back and say wow we've got a new lifestyle we never thought we'd have uh we've got a new direction that i never thought i'd have it just was unimaginable And many people say, oh, but in the wisdom of hindsight. Yeah, well, while we're going through it, we can be more positive. We can be more creative and look for, expect to find innovative solutions to our problems. And then we can take and make strategic changes 
You see, there are some people that just do not like change. No. But a crisis forces the change. And, in fact, it's a bit like a cyclone coming through. You know, before the cyclone comes through, there's some bit of rubbishy kind of growth over there and some old buildings, dilapidated things falling apart over there. But when the cyclone comes through, it just picks it all up, whips it all away, and six months later you've got fresh new growth, you've got buildings going up, it's if the building industry is not going too slow. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's new, everything's new. And we forget sometimes that with the newness comes a new life and new hope, and I found the experience to be quite amazing and uplifting yeah it's interesting because you know most for the most part and me included like we don't like crisis or we, we shy away from it you know we crave that comfort and stability and consistency and so you're right it's something that um isn't really taught how to overcome a tragedy like this and if that wasn't enough obviously you've, you've lost your house and i love the analogy of you know, the growth or the regrowth that starts to happen, the, the change of the seasons. And so yes. understanding that that's a huge part that's going to get you through that is understanding, look, you're just going through a season here and, you know, the tide will turn, you know, the winds will change, so to speak, yeah. and, you know, you'll, you'll eventually find your way and find your feet. But if that wasn't enough, though, I believe the timing of this was, was it not around three months previous to COVID? So... Because this would have affected, no doubt, the whole building industry. And I was in the building industry. Yes. For many years. Um, it just stopped pretty much. So, well, my, yeah. So, my story is that when I did go to the Rocks in Sydney to attend Speakers Institute, unknowingly, the passengers uh, from the Princess Ruby of all ships were wandering the streets, entering shops and cafes, and we were mingling with them. And that was in that uh, third weekend in March 2020. And I remember flying back to Adelaide on the 23rd of March wondering, oh, I talked to that Austrian woman in that cafe. I wonder, you know. Uh, fortunately, uh, we all, there were four of us from staff, we all came back and we did not contract COVID. But it's an interesting little story of how close we were brushing, the potential we were brushing with that. But I have to say about COVID, um that was actually uh something that helped me solidify and strengthen and galvanize myself um I'm the CEO of a charity and I felt responsible for the staff how are we going to take this ship through this season so I actually got off my own woes and threw myself into my work which in fact was a form of salvation because the more you think and work on projects that are not attached to the trauma of the loss, the more that you are giving back and supporting other people, the more you can come through it. And so my lesson from that is give back. Yeah. Work. You see, we can't afford to wallow. We can't afford to sit and do nothing. Everything that assists us to come through and navigate through crisis has doing words you know we have to initiate a solution we have to find uh, a way through this it's it's all about keeping momentum keeping movement and they say there's healing in movement and I can vouch for that I just had to keep moving forward because going back wasn't going to achieve anything can I ask you, I think by default we tend to wallow and I know some people stay in that state for longer than others. So perhaps I guess there might be a refractory period. I'd like you, your take on this. The a what period? A refractory period, I call it. Like a, a period of grief or a period of where you're almost, you need to process what's happened. Oh, of you know? course. Well, I think, um, yeah. So you've got to understand that for us that moment was where are our Christmas presents? Oh, they were all wrapped under yeah. our brand new tree. They're all destroyed. Now, fortunately for us, our daughter-in-law's family extended uh, an invitation to go down to Aldinga Beach. 
and joined them there for Christmas. And that was therapeutic. I think I cried all Christmas Day. Yeah. Um, I think I couldn't get over the the shock. Mm. But I think you have to be kind to yourself and say, I'm in shock. This is normal. And I will overcome. I will get through this. You don't always think like that at the time because you're so emotional. Sometimes our emotions take over. But we have to say, okay, I've got total loss of everything I've worked hard for in my life, but what's my future? And so this is where we have to be grateful when we take out insurance, for argument's sake. Mm. We have to be grateful and assess what we have, not what we don't have, right? So what we had was insurance, which then allowed us to have the capacity to think about, well, now that we're, are we going to rebuild in the Adelaide Hills or are we going to come down to the plains? Mm. That in itself was an important and practical decision that had to be made. My husband needed more medical assistance, so we decided that we wouldn't rebuild, we would come down to the plains. So that set us on another pathway of, oh, we could look for a new home, right? And so within six months, we signed up to an apartment uh, off the floor plan, which we decided was going to be the best uh, for us in this closer on the edge of the city, on the eastern side. And we did that. And now we're still waiting. Um, in March, my husband died this year, but it's uh, the apartment is supposed to be now ready for July 23. So that will be well over three years. Yeah. We signed up for it due to rain, 120 days of rain, they say, um, and also lack of materials. But I've got that hope. I've got that to look forward to. And in the meantime, we were able to rent uh, another property. So we stayed with our son and daughter-in-law for six months. And that was a relationship-building exercise like no other. It was absolutely beautiful because the four of us worked and we'd come together, the four of us, and have a meal together and share our days. And it was, it, we were supporting each other. It was lovely. I just love your ability to see the opportunity. You spoke about it before, just understanding the seasons and then seeing the opportunity and, you know, taking that next step and just moving in that, in that new direction. But the other thing I love as well, Helen, and we spoke about this off air last time, is the way you define crisis and your, definition of the three types of crisis can you just do that with us please yes well we all know that uh, we can have a physical crisis we might lose a limb in a car accident or a fall um, or health uh, crisis we might have a material crisis of course which is what I've been through Uh, we can have an emotional crisis and that can put us into quite a spin uh, because it could be loss of a job Sometimes our identity, unfortunately, is attached to our our employment. And if we lose our employment, you know, what does that say about who we are? Um, That's a very significant time of growth when you need to go through the assessment. Um, And then, of course, emotional crisis. Unfortunately, in today's world, 50% of marriages end up in divorce. Now, that's a huge emotional crisis. I would even go so far as to say it's also a spiritual crisis Mm. Um, because I think marriage is a spiritual thing. Uh, It's a spiritual contract, if you like, because you're committing not just your body and your soul but your spirit. The two of you become one. So some people don't appreciate the depth of what divorce uh, can do. Um, And so, therefore, we need to be coached to look at, well, what could be the future? What did we learn that was good from the marriage and what can we extract that we know that we we gained? And it could just be freedom for those who are victims of domestic violence, unfortunately. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, when we form a relationship with someone, we grow. It's insidious. We don't even notice we grow. We do. We change. Um, I think that it, it's a wonderful thing to have a good marriage because our character's developed. And, in fact, 
when you do lose everything, the only thing that's left is the character that you've developed. And I have a belief that life is one big test. And everything that happens to us, it's the test of how am I going to respond? I love that. Yeah. 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 It's like gold. It's like gold. And so we, we can develop a character that is being refined. And I know that the experience of losing everything has helped us to refine and uh, fine-tune what's important to us. Yeah. So my message to the world now is post-traumatic growth. Mm. We have to expect that after a trauma, no matter whether it's a disaster or an emotional thing or a car accident, see, to some people crisis is the fact that the local shops moved. Do you know what I mean? Like. Everyone has a different definition of crisis. Mm. It's significant to understand that we all have a different response and we all are different people. But essentially, um, we have to develop as human beings an overcoming mindset. What am I going to do next? What can I learn from this? What have I got, not what have I not got, you know, Um, how am I going to get myself through this season? And so I actually have a blueprint yes. for overcoming. Yeah. yeah. Would you like me to go there? Before you do that, I want to ask you one more question about the three types of crisis. Now, you've experienced two two of them. So you've lost someone very close to you. Yes. Passed away. And then obviously with the house. Now, this is yes. a space of a couple of years, I'm assuming. Is that correct? 18 months or, or two years? What was that? The, the loss of loss of your husband and the loss of your, oh, your Yeah, home? my husband uh, died seven months ago and my home was three years this Christmas. Okay. Pretty close together. Yes. Are they different in terms of how you handle them? So you spoke about the three types of crisis, but in regards to moving out of them. Yes. And then, you know, well, seeing, seeing it, the opportunity, mm-hmm. is it a similar concept which you teach in the MAP Blueprint? Yes. Well, in the case of my husband, uh, he was not well and the last nine months of his life he needed me as his carer. So that shifted my role in a way and my focus so that uh, even when I was, he couldn't, he lost his driver's licence, I had to drive him to his appointments and so I had to adapt to that so I'd be taking work phone calls in the corridor of a hospital while he was seeing the doctor, you know, you juggle that. Um, But for that intense period before he died, everything was about his needs, his medications, his meals, his everything. But in the process, we had this wonderful, dare I say, opportunity um, to buy a houseboat. It was offered to us. And we really enjoyed the water and so in June 2021 we purchased a houseboat and that was my husband's happy place and his oncologist said to him in October 21, go to your happy place, stay there for as long as you can. And so through COVID, especially when we knew that COVID was really attacking the elderly, You know, my husband was 20 years older than me. So I had this opportunity to cocoon him in the houseboat. Yeah. And I would work from the houseboat. I set an office up uh, so I could go up and down the Murray River and still (laughs) be in communication because I put a satellite dish on the roof. So you have full like TV and everything, like you you had everything set up in there like a home, yeah? Yeah, it's a full three-bedroom home, Yeah. Uh, outdoor kitchen for barbecues. It's it's pretty, it's two-story. We can entertain upstairs as well. Um, we called the houseboat Eternity. And um, we're both from Sydney. And for those that know a little bit about Arthur Stace, back in the 50s, uh, 40s and 50s, he would go around the streets of Sydney and write the word Eternity. He had been an alcoholic. He became a Christian. But that was his way of highlighting where he believed he was going and you may or may not be young enough or old enough to know that in the New Year's Eve's um, fireworks display on the Sydney Harbour Bridge they put up the word eternity 
okay, in I the year 2000. Right. Yeah. So that's the name of our houseboat. And that is, in fact, the place where my husband died. Uh, he had just hooked up with palliative care and um, they gave me little ampules of morphine to yep. inject every few hours. So from the moment he said to my son and myself, look, the pain's too much, I really want to die, yep. um, it was a matter of three days. Yeah. And he died peacefully. He looked at peace. He was very peaceful. Um, we talked about forgiveness before he died, kind of did a bit of an audit. You know, have you forgiven this person? Have you forgiven me? Have you forgiven yourself? And um, he said yes to all that. So I think um, understanding the dynamics of forgiveness and unburdening yourself is really not for others. It's for yourself Yeah, uh, to be set free because we can't allow things to be trapped in our minds because then that's that's where they hijack our thinking and our minds. We have to set them free to set ourselves free. We have to forgive. Yeah. What about gratitude, Helen? Because oh, gratitude. What about gratitude? When I started, like when I once upon a time, I never practiced gratitude at all. And I remember my parents used to say to me as a kid, "Just you're not grateful for anything, you know." And and they were right. I wasn't. I used to take things for granted, and I still do at times. It's when I'm, but when I'm present about it, and when I'm actually focused on what I've got. Yes. I find it does make me more grounded. It makes me more present. It just makes me more appreciative of what I've got at the moment. So how's that been for you, like the concept of gratitude and the importance that's played in your life? Uh, it's an essential part of overcoming. Uh, having an overcoming mindset is positioning yourself whereby you know all those things that have added value to your life and you must, must, must be grateful. And I think one of the downfalls of our society and Australians generally is that we haven't been grateful. We haven't realised that we we are Australian, full mm. stop. That in itself is good, uh, the best country in the world. We've got two arms. We've got two legs. Um, we've got... Uh, well, some of us have two arms and two legs, but we have a society that allows us to be backed up by Medicare. We have a, a government that allows us to have the dole. We can't take that for granted, and unfortunately there are people that do take that for granted. Um, but we have to be grateful for everything um, that is in our lives, including every relative, even the relatives we don't like. We have to find the good in them. And so my view of gratitude is it really does determine our altitude. And, and we can be soaring. We can be at an energy level that's so powerful that we can enter a room and change the dynamics just because we are grateful, you know, and yeah. we carry it. We, we are carriers of whatever our emotions are. So are we carriers of joy, you know? Are we carriers of gratitude? Are we carriers of hope? Are we carriers of encouragement, right? So everything that comes out of our spirit and our soul can impact everyone around us. So are we going to walk into a room with a dark cloud of morbidity over us or are we going to say, right, I'm going to go in and be full of joy and tell them some great jokes and lift their spirits. That is a choice. That is a choice when we enter our workplace. We can choose to just be glum and carry this grey cloud of sadness. You know, people pick it up. Everyone picks that up. You're, you're resonating with, with me with what you're saying here because anyone that's listening has had this experience before. You know when you walk into a room sometimes and there's that person who... They're just full of energy and like their energy gives you energy. You know, yes. and being in their vicinity, you might you might not have just you might have just met them, but just being around them just gives you yes. that, that new boost of energy. And then there's the opposite as well. And there's yeah. people who do the very, very opposite where they take the energy from you. They actually rob you of the energy because of Well, I, I know that from my family. My mother and father were melancholic type personalities and didn't matter what I asked to do, it was always a flat no. Yeah. 
And unfortunately for them, I was the precocious one. I was the choleric little girl um, that probably came across bossy, but you don't know that little girls who are bossy are potential leaders, (laughs) you know. So uh, they didn't know really how to handle me, Mm. Um, but that's it. Um, Even when my husband first met me, he said, are you sure they're your parents? Uh, Because they were so, so sombre and, and negative and it, it, it life was not fun so leaving home was good for me yeah what about the importance of laughing laughing oh. you know like oh. looking at your own uh, mistakes your own shortcomings just in general not taking yourself too seriously look i have now developed a habit where i laugh at myself while i'm alone by myself in my own home when I forget things, oh, how did I do that? And I have this self-talk that is making fun of myself. I have no one else to hear me, but it lifts my spirit. Yeah. And and just like uh, tennis players talk to themselves on the tennis court, you know, sometimes we don't always know the words they're saying, but that narrative that they not only speak in their mind but that comes out of their mouth, that is building them up to do the next ace, mm. you know. Now, if they're throwing the racket down and cursing and carrying on arguing with the umpire, well, that's a different energy. Yeah. But the ones that really know self-talk and the power of self-talk, we can build each other up. So, yes, I do laugh at myself. I, I actually enjoy laughing at myself now. Um, in fact, I try to do it at least once a day. Yeah. You know. And yeah. it's just goofy stuff. But if you took it all seriously, you'd be morbid. You, you wouldn't be much use to yourself. Yeah. I heard, I can't remember where I heard this before, but I heard a saying that, you know, there's people that take themselves too seriously and life not seriously, where it should be the opposite. Whereas don't take yourself so seriously, but treat life more seriously and have more gratitude and have more appreciation for what you've got and I think those two things sort of work hand in hand I can't remember where I heard that oh I think you heard it from no I think you heard it from Queen Elizabeth possibly I'm not sure but yeah (laughs) she she was quoted as saying don't take yourself too seriously okay yeah yeah it's interesting because um like I I believe gratitude is the yeah the underpinning thing that's gonna it's gonna give you more of what you've already got if you appreciate things and you and you take things don't take things for granted, I should say, then I think that's the that's the cornerstone to just building more of that, you know? Uh, I have to admit that after my husband died, there were some aspects of what he did that, unfortunately, I had taken for granted. Um, and I probably wasn't as grateful to him as I should have been. For example, he would pay my speeding fines. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and uh, I remember saying to a friend, oh, I think I took him for granted. You know, he was always there to fix the bills. He was always there to remind me or to take the initiative to pay for the things that were owing, you know, and now everything's lobbed on to me. So I have to pay my own speeding fines. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure you would have brought value to him in other areas as well. So I think to, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, mutual. It's a mutual thing, you know. Like I think both parties bring something to the table. And as long as that mutual understanding was there, I don't think you've taken it for granted at all, to be honest. But but look, I, I want you to get into your actual process, like the blueprint side of it, right? Sort of right. An understanding. Well, is it and how does it all how does it all yeah. work together? Well, the truth is that I'm actually developing a six week course to help people develop an overcoming mindset and to help people. Um, embrace a crisis as an opportunity. Now, that's a bit of a flip, but we can get there and we need to get there so that we're galvanised for when a crisis does hit because they do come suddenly. They don't normally creep up on us. It's wow, you know. So um, there's there's a way to navigate, particularly the first three months. Um, This is when we're trying to juggle our emotions It's very important not to blame, you know, sure, I could blame the winds that changed at night because we were safe all day. 
Yeah. At night, the winds turned around and came and wiped us out. But there's no point. It achieves nothing. We don't play the blame game. So uh, the blueprint starts with M uh, for, yeah, there's four letters, M-A-P-P, map. So my map, my blueprint starts with M and that stands for maintain the things you enjoyed before that event struck. So if you liked going for a swim every Friday morning in the beach, keep doing it. Don't stop that. If you enjoy going out with friends to play bridge every Wednesday night or you're a part of a netball team or you play football, whatever those things that you participated in, uh, it could be as simple as uh, being a volunteer for a charity. Those things which you enjoyed and you got fun and enjoyment from before the event, don't drop them. Hold on to them because they act as little uh stakes in the ground to hold on to to keep to keep moving forward because you've already lost a lot already don't wipe out everything okay so that's important and of course the big one is to accept a for acceptance just take a deep breath and go ah i've accepted it has happened you know you can't deny it the moment we go into denial we're not going to grow forward we're going to go back So acceptance is critical and key to moving forward. Um, Then we have to prioritise, as I mentioned to you before, I came up with my three top priorities, which happened to start with F, and they were family, friends and faith. Yeah. And, And they are actually universal to most people and it's not hard to remember and it's not hard to be grateful for our family, for our friends and for our faith. And then we need to plan. And the reason this is this P for planning is so important is planning gives us hope. And I discovered this probably more so with when I lost my husband. I planned that once a month I was committed to Speaker's Tribe. For example, yes. once a month I would attend another group of female founders uh, network um, and I would attend another circle of events through a, a friend of mine that puts them on. So I decided that I needed those events, so I put them in my diary. Right? And then I would plan at least once or twice a week to walk around the Oval near me. So you plan and then you plan a holiday. So. Um, before the funeral, when our family was together, I said, I have two adult sons, uh, I said, can we do a family holiday? And we planned it. And we've just come back from two yeah. weeks in northern New South Wales. And it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, but we planned it. Do you know what I'm saying? Nothing happened. Proactively, you know, putting things in place to Correct. take the necessary steps to make Correct. your life better. Yep. Yes. So... You can't over plan. So even having this podcast was with you was planned. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, I'm also planning to finish the book that my husband and I started writing and I'm currently looking for a publisher. So the the finishing touches uh, are going on to that book as we speak and planning, um, imagining the future. Uh, knowing what you know now and how you can plan. I know I supposedly my apartment's going to be ready next July so I can plan around that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's it's so important because planning gives us hope that um, I'm going to go out for dinner with someone next week. And I have to say the reverse is true. If that person pulls the plug mm. and says, oh, I'm not available or something's come up, I can't go out to lunch with you. Um, I, it's, there's an old proverb that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yeah. And if I have an event coming up that I really, really am looking forward to and it's cancelled, well, you do feel a little bit of loss, mm. don't you? You do yeah. feel a little bit of, they call it sickness. Mm. But it could be right. Makes your heart sick because our heart operates on hope. Our heart operates on encouragement. Our heart, 
the language of the heart is um, words that build us up, you know, words that give us hope for a future. Um, so I'm a great believer in uh, working with your heart and being passionate and following the leading of your heart, trust your heart to take you where you want to go. Uh, and the reason I say that is that at birth and even before birth, I believe that the spirit uh, actually breathes into us our potential destiny. And I think that we need to seek that. And yeah. sometimes we we push it aside, all those passions and longings that are actually deep within our heart. We push them aside because we have to go and get a job to pay for things. And that job really doesn't align with what our heart really wants to do. Yeah. Some people don't get to start the dream of what they really want to become until they're 50 or 60. And that isn't bad, but I'm just saying um, there is a compass inside us that's there to take us to why we were the purpose for what we're here for. So a dent the purpose of a dentist is to fix your teeth. Mm. A purpose of a mechanic is to fix your car. Uh, usually people who have a purpose are there to fix things, make yeah. things better, right? And my husband and I entered into the criminal justice system because we knew that we could encourage and help people and now also the children of prisoners. And, and they have certain issues and we believe in helping them overcome and find the, make good choices for their own life. Nice. Yeah, well said. A couple more questions before I let you go. The first one's about the book. What was the inspiration for you to write the book? Is it something you were planning for some period of time or was it a spontaneous decision based on one of these recent events that's, that's taken place in your life? No, it was really towards the end of my husband's life when we knew it was coming to a close and through um, uh, through um, COVID when we were on the houseboat. I had for many, many years wanted my husband to write his book. Um, our story, our personal journey has been one where the whole world was against us. We met in Sydney. He had um, already been divorced, 20 years older than me, but he was also on his way to prison. So uh, we um, had the world against us because, according to everyone around me, he was going to destroy my life. He was going to ruin it completely. So <clears throat> we had to withstand that opposition. In fact, the only way for us to move forward was to elope, and we did that. So there's been some dynamics in our own story that I've wanted to have recorded. He... Um, he did attract a lot of media back in the mid-70s, but he's uh, had second chances, if you like, mm. and and I actually am part of that. So <clears throat> he really didn't know what was going to go for his life because he lost everything. Um, he was a lawyer who uh, made some fraudulent decisions which were breaking the law at the time. There was a lot of lawyers at the time, in fact, uh, in the in the credit squeeze of the mid-70s that made some very silly decisions. He just made one big silly decision and he took a one-way flight to Brazil and ended up in prison with Ronnie Biggs. But you're probably too young to even know who Ronnie Biggs is. No, I don't know Ronnie Biggs. Just fill, fill us in. Who is he? Ronnie Biggs uh, was the big uh, bank robber from the UK. Okay. And uh, he... Yeah, with him, was he? Sorry? Yeah. As well. yeah. Yeah, okay. They were in prison together. Um, Ronnie, there's been movies about Ronnie Biggs. People who are a little bit older than you do remember Ronnie. Um, and uh, so there's there's been a lot of headlines about um, my husband's decisions mm. and um, I wanted to write our story. In other words, Jeff's life wasn't the end. He'd reached rock bottom, but... We came to South Australia. We were given an opportunity. We were given a, he was given a job. I must add, I came to South Australia kicking and screaming because I didn't think that South Australia was going to add much to our lives. I thought Sydney was the centre of the Sydney. universe. You're from the eastern states, Helen, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we, uh, it's new state, new life, new wife, new beginning. Yeah. And so the book is called A Second Chance and um, it really tells 
the story of him, then how we met, how we then overcame and how we came to South Australia, but how also he's given back to the criminal justice system. So it's one thing to go to prison, do you, do the crime, do the time. It's another thing to come out and and try and help prisoners get their second chance as well. Yeah. Well, it's giving back. You spoke about that before earlier. Yeah. In the- so it's a book of service. It's a book of redemption. It's a, it's a, I would call it an in- inspirational autobiography. Yeah. Mm. Well, one more question, Helen. I might be putting you on the spot here, but the, the, the theme of this podcast is about stepping into your own power, overcoming your limitations and actualizing what is your potential, mm-hmm. which is very, very different for everyone. But what does it mean for you? to be limitless? To have a voice to the world, to have a voice to help people overcome and to be the voice that people can listen to and hear, identify and be galvanised to be overcomers. Beautiful. Helen, it's been amazing. How do people find you? I know you've got a course now that I believe you're, is, is out? Is that correct? Is it actually? Yeah, uh, it's formulating. Um, the course will be made available along with the announcement and the launch of the okay. book. So they'll come out parallel. I'm also producing a new website. So the website is dedicated to speaking just about post-traumatic growth. I want to be invited into conferences, organisations and, and speak uh, to help people because some organisations go through crisis. You know, they might have lost some of their key staff yeah. or they might have had some destruction of one of their plants. Um, I want to come in and help them see how they can get through it all with the right overcoming mindset. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, thanks for coming on. I really, really enjoyed it and love your clarity about the opportunity around crisis and why we need to prepare for crisis because, like you said, it's not something that, creeps up creeps up on us slowly it happens pretty quick and so it's better to have the tools to be able to do that up front Mm. so yeah i encourage anyone listening uh we'll put all the links in the relevant notes below so reach out to helen if you've got any questions um social media as well helen is there anywhere on social that people can actually reach out whether that's a yes yes um helen glanville uh thought leader and public speaker yep Uh, i've got a facebook page but um, I've also, I'm also on LinkedIn and I have my own YouTube channel. Nice. Yeah. We'll have it all down below anyway. All, all the links will be there. So, yeah, people can get an opportunity to get to have a look at your stuff and if they want to reach out, then, yeah, that'd be great. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. No worries at all. Thanks, Alan. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe. And also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.